0: God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 15:20 through 34. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive but each in his own order Christ the first fruits then those coming who belong to Christ oh. then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for God who has put all things in subjection under his feet but when it says all things are put in subjection it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that god may be all in all otherwise what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? If the dead were not raised, let us drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived." Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, so you guys can have a seat. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. I haven't met you yet. My name is Ben. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, but get to serve as the lead pastor of this church. If you have a Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Um, and especially if you want a Bible, man, we would love to give you a Bible. We have lots of Bibles here for that purpose. So if you're curious, if you just wanna read, whatever it is, we would love to give you a Bible today. And if none of that works, we got the lyrics, um, the lyrics, we got the Bible on the screen. Some of it kind of is like song lyrics, but we got that on the screen for you. First Corinthians 15. All right, listen, um, hey, if you're a guest in the room, you're an honored guest, we really are stoked that you would be here. Uh, man, we love families in this church. We have, uh, we always have lots of kids up here with us. There's also kids downstairs. And so please, I, I keep telling our parents this, um, man, don't ever feel self-conscious about your kids running and acting a fool in our church. We actually love that. A lot of us act like kids as well. So they're just really welcome here. Um, All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Uh, You pray for me and I'll pray for you guys. God, we thank you so much for the Bible. I ask, um, Lord, we just ask that you would do what only you can do. And I ask that the Bible, you said it won't return void. So we just ask that it would work today, that it would work, that the Bible would do its work and that you would work in our hearts. And I ask, Lord, for people in this room who just witnessed baptism, Lord, that say, you know what, I need to be baptized, Lord. I pray that that would happen today. We ask for spontaneous baptisms at the end of this service. God, just ask that you would move on hearts and people would be saved in this room and come and strengthen all of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, we're preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, which means this. This is a letter written to a church a long time ago. There's a church in Corinth. Corinth was a Greco-Roman town. There was lots of craziness happening in Corinth. As you can imagine, both the Greeks and the Romans, but then also the Jews, they were all converging in this one place. Well, Paul, this man named Paul, God saw fit to put a church in Corinth through Paul. So the New Testament, if you're not familiar with it, New Testament is a lot of Paul writing letters to encourage or correct or help the church see how to better follow Jesus. And none needed it more, let me tell you, than the church that was in Corinth. We are studying a letter written to that church called 1 Corinthians, which is actually probably the second letter written to them in a string of letters. And they did what we sometimes do or what we a lot of times do. They were in a culture that was actually crazy. I mean, Corinth was a crazy town. There was lots of stuff happening in that town that didn't feel very church-like, didn't feel very godly. And so, what Corinth had done, which is what we do a lot of times in the church, is they had let the town change the way that they view God. Essentially, this, you might have heard the word discipleship. The Corinth church, the Corinthians, had let the whole culture around them disciple them instead of what they should have been doing, was discipling the culture around them. Because, look, I don't know who you are, I know a lot of you, I don't know everybody but I'll promise you we can agree on one thing. The whole world is crazy. I guarantee you that. I don't, have to, I don't know what your view of crazy is, what's your definition, but we can show enough together decide, no matter what you do or how different our political views or whatever, we can all show enough decide that it's crazy out there. <laughs> In literal craziness, why on earth, why on earth would you let out there decide for you what to think, believe, and how to act. When we've already decided a truth, it's not right. It ain't right. These people, is crazy. In Corinth, they were letting the whole town, they were letting the whole culture change the way that they thought. So Paul now is writing a letter to them that says, you need to change your thinking. You, there are some things that you've forgotten about who you are. The things you've forgotten about what you signed up for and that is to follow christ to lay down your life crazy things happening in the church they were in competition with one another they literally were saying well i have these gifts of the spirit and you don't have these gifts so i must probably god probably likes me more that's probably what it is i'm probably smarter better equipped more spiritual a better disciple more mature better looking i don't know fill in the blank They were in competition with one another. Paul comes and says, don't be competing with one another. In chapter 13, he says, you can speak with the tongues of angels, but if you don't have love, he essentially tells them that they're worshiping in a false temple. You're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. There's all kinds of stuff. There's like sexual craziness, like in the church when we're supposed to have fidelity to each other and covenant of marriage actually really matters a lot. It shouldn't matter the most to us. What was happening in this church was, they were saying, it's not that big a deal. There was a man that was sleeping with his stepmother. I'm not making this up. This is not like Jerry Springer. I promise this really happened in real life. They said, get the man out of your church, Paul said. They just didn't care. There's so much happening. They're, they're worshiping in other temples. They're doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, come on, wrap your head around. This is a church. This stuff is happening. Competition with who's the most spiritual? Isn't that antithetical to the gospel? Doesn't the gospel say, hey, there's no one spiritual among you? Everybody's the same. There's no like varsity level Christian or whatever. It's like this person up here who thinks they're awesome, like you might look at me and go, well, he's a pastor. He probably knows everything. Trust me, I need the same amount of salvation that you need which is all of it. I need all of it, all 100% of it. That's what the church had forgotten in Corinth. All this sounds crazy, all this is strange, all this is very dangerous, but I'm gonna argue, and I think the Bible does, that there is nothing more dangerous in their heretical beliefs than the one that we're approaching today. Church in Corinth struggled, did not believe, that the people of God would be raised from the dead when they die, after he comes back. It's dangerous, it's dangerous. We need this book today to shape up our thinking, help us sit up straight and go, help me understand why my body matters. Help me understand why what I do with it matters. Help me understand why baptism matters. Help me understand why I should care about when Jesus comes back and returns. Help me understand that. It is core. It's not just core, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. We cannot, as Christians, have a lopsided view of us being raised in Christ and going about this world in true Christianity. We can't. It matters. Verse 20 says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, mark that word, the first fruits, it's an important word. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The reason I tell you to mark that word, because this is an interesting agricultural term, especially for that day, and for some of you that maybe farm or grow plants or whatever, I do. I try to grow grass seed. <laughs> we can talk about it later if you want to. I'm kind of into it. This idea of the first fruits is really important because here's what happened: is you had a lot of farmers who were really obviously relying on their crop, and every year, I mean, if you know anything about trying to grow crops or whatever, it's like I tell you all the time, it's science but it is not exact science. Anybody else try to grow things can say amen to that. It's like I can do all the things that I need to do, but it's still sometimes it just doesn't work. I can put the fertilizer down. I can put the water down. I can get it on the right schedule. I can get whatever it is out there that I need irrigation in the field. I used to work in a sweet potato field growing up. Irrigation, planting, sitting on the potato. We call them tater setters, but potato setter. I can do all of that right, And when the crop, when it comes time for the crop to grow, there's still a little bit of me going like, I hope this works. Anybody's ever grown anything, know that? I was like, I hope this works. And then sometimes, you know what? It doesn't work. And there's really not much explanation to it other than just that tree did not survive. We don't know why. It could have been a fungus. It could have been whatever it is. The first fruits for the planter lets you know it worked. It lets you know it worked. Look at what's coming out of the ground. The very first of that crop to sprout out lets you know the things that we did, the sacrifice that we made worked. It worked. Now out of the ground it comes. It also signifies that you're about to get a whole other crop. It lets you know that not just that, those first fruits let you know that there's other crops gonna come up. Can you imagine what a farmer feels when they go, It worked, we're gonna make money this year and people are gonna eat, that's good. (laughs) The Bible says here, Christ is the first crop of the dead. He's the first one, he came out of the ground first. It lets you know this, it worked. The perfect life that he lived, the sacrifice that he made to go to a Roman torture cross, all of that was not in vain, it worked. Christ is the first one. He signals to us what he has done on our behalf works for us too. Come on now. Christian in the room, I mean, the Christ being the first roots is a big deal. This is a big deal. That lets us know without a doubt, if Christ had not been raised, then we're done. We're done. Why? Why would we live the life that we tell me why? What's the point in suffering? The Bible talks about fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Why? We're going to talk about it a little more. Why stand in it? Why be faithful? Why stay in the stuff that you've said I'm going to stay into? Why say no to the stuff that everybody else is telling you to do? Why? Here's why. Because Christ rose from the grave. And I know without a doubt now that it worked and it's worth it. It's worth it. I have proof that it's worth it. Christ is the first fruit of all God's people who have or will die ever, who have fallen asleep. The resurrection is the sign that it worked. Well, how is it that it worked? Well, here's what we see next. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. All right, listen to this. For as in Adam all die. You might be thinking, well, I don't, I'm alive. <laughs> I haven't died yet. Lord willing, I won't die today. For in Adam all die. We're talking about spiritual death. The word Adam literally means man. It means mankind. Adam was created by God. He was given the garden to tend it, to take care of it. God said, eat of all the trees, eat of all the fruit, just don't eat of this one tree. Adam through the enemy, through the serpent, and it was Adam, it wasn't just like Eve sinned, and Adam then had to deal with that. It was both of them. Just wanna reiterate that to everybody in the room. What happened was, Adam said yes to the serpent. He said yes to the lie that you can be as God. And in that moment, rebellion entered the world, and when Adam was created to live forever, what actually happened was death entered in, in that moment. That's called the fall, the fall of mankind. We fell, and now the whole earth is cursed because of it. That's why it's so hard to grow a crop, literally because of what happened in Genesis. God said, the ground will be hard for you now. It won't give you what you think. You'll work, you'll toil, I literally think about Adam every time I go to plant new grass. And my, I'd already told you about this. I'm not going to talk about grass too much in this sermon. I said amen. But every time you go to oversee whatever it is, and I'm like, I've watered. I actually, first off, I spent money. I'm upset. I've watered. I put fertilizer down here. I've spent money. I've thought about how much I want to have grass. That's the hard part. It's like I want to have a whole yard that looks amazing like a Major League Baseball field. And when it doesn't come up, I'm like, Adam, this is your fault, brother. This is your fault. This should work. But because of what you did. But here's the problem is we all think that about Adam, we all think that, but the Bible so clearly states that Adam actually is you, you represent. He was a man, I'm not saying there's no such thing. Adam lived, he was, had a heartbeat, blood flow, the whole nine. But you are him, he represents mankind. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. In Adam all die, in man all die. What Adam did disrupts everything. It brings the curse into the world. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The fact is this, there is a new, true, better Adam. Jesus Christ did all of the things that Adam could never do. He obeyed God perfectly. He never once sinned. He tended the garden. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He went into the garden, was facing temptation to walk away from the cross. He said, not my will but yours. Adam didn't do that. Adam said, my will, not yours. One of the lie that was fed him in the garden was that you can be as God. You can be like God in every way. Adam said, yes. Philippians says about Jesus, who was God. It says that he did not see equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. There's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like him. He is the better Adam. He did everything that Adam could never do. So in Adam, we all die. In Christ, we all. That means in Christ, those of us who have trusted Jesus, in Christ, we shall all be made alive alive. Christ has now reversed the curse of Adam for the believer. Well, you say it might not feel that way in this world. It might feel like, man, this whole world feels cursed. Well, there's gonna be a day when Christ actually returns. We're gonna hear that in a little bit. When he returns and makes all things new, restores the Garden of Eden to this world. Christ has reversed the curse for all those who believe in him. And he only does what Adam couldn't do. He does actually a whole lot more than that. Now it's easy for us in the Bible Belt to hear phrases and go through things and sit in a church service and go, I've heard that comes in one ear and out the other. I've thought that, I've sang that, I've read that, whatever, it's all familiar to me. But I'm gonna ask you to take away your familiarity for a minute and receive some of this like it's fact. Christ did what Adam could not do but he actually did so much more than that. He didn't just fulfill all of the promises of the covenant of God, he did that, but he also does, it's unfathomable. If Christ had just come and said, I'm gonna at least make a certain way, a kinda way for you to get to God, that would have been enough, we don't even deserve that. But what he did is he saves us to the uttermost. You know what that means for those of you who are baptized today? Look, you were saved before you got into that water, you were, but what it means now is there is a stone of remembrance that says, wait a minute, I'm thinking a little crazy right now, I'm acting a little crazy, I feel offbeat, but I remember I got buried. I got buried in that water, buried to, to sin, buried to death, and now I'm raised up in newness of life in Christ. That means this, that it's not like you're gonna not sin. It's not like you're gonna not struggle with sin. It's not gonna, there's not gonna be times where you wanna walk away and you feel like my faith is tempted. I'm just not, I'm tempted. I'm not in my right mind. All of that's still going to happen to you. But what it does mean is that now you have a stone of remembrance that says, yes, I want that. But let me remember for a second that I died to my sinful nature. My nature, my very essence of who I am is now seated with God in heavenly places according to Ephesians. It's different for me now. Are we awake in this room today? Come on now. This is the best thing you will ever hear in your life. God, Jesus, not only does what Adam couldn't do, but he takes us and does like, exceedingly more. He, he makes us go from enemies to family. That's crazy. You got any enemies that you want to adopt? He saves us to the uttermost. That means nothing can shake the foundation of our salvation. He holds the keys. He gives us life now, but he also gives us eternal life. That means that all of the stuff that you struggle with and face right now, it's just gonna pale in comparison to eternity with Christ. Our bodies become new, our mind gets renewed, our whole life, we have peace now. I'm ready for that, man. I'm like right in the middle, I'm literally middle aged, I'm 42, I used to be an athlete. I remember I could be like, I'm gonna take four months off from the gym and go right back into the gym in my 20s I'm gonna go right back and I'm gonna start up and I'm gonna do three full sets, maxed out, squat reps, deadlift, the whole thing, and not ever blink. I remember those days. Let me tell you how untrue that is now for me and this 42-year-old body. I said this week, I'm gonna go back, it's time for me to get back in the gym. I miss it, it's been a little while. I could probably do some squats. I think I'd be able to manage that. I think I for sure will be able to do three sets of 15 and just go max out and go the whole way. That was Wednesday. Today is the first, I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. Today is the first day when I got up and I was like, I think I'm gonna be able to walk normal today. <laughs> I saw my buddy Cody last night. I was walking to the neighbor. I was like, man, I need to walk, 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 and get some of this right again because I've almost forgotten how to walk. There will be a day that comes, man, when our bodies will be made new. I mean, this is like the hope that we have in Christ. And it's eternal, Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That means that God has accepted the sacrifice of Christ. It is plain that he, God the Father, has accepted God the Son sacrifice. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him. Meaning this, this is the Trinity at work. God the Son willingly, even though he was equal, he did not see equality with God a thing to be grasped, he willingly submitted to his plan. Subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. I love this passage because it's so clear and concise. It's this, Christ rose, that's a fact. We will be raised, that's also a fact because of what Christ has done. He is now reigning, and, but he will finally and fully defeat the enemy when he returns, okay? We're in the already not yet of the kingdom of God. And then on that day, that great tyrant that nobody escapes now will finally, which by the way, those that are in Christ now are the only ones that can look toward death with hope at all. Paul says this about grief. He said, it's not that we shouldn't grieve, but it's that we shouldn't grieve as ones who have no hope. We have hope. Death is not the final thing for us. For those that are not in Christ, it is final. But the problem is this. If I could speak clearly to you and I owe it to you to be your friend, the problem is this, is that there's no such thing as annihilation. You don't just cease to exist. I'm I'm speaking as clear as I can speak to you now. You don't just cease to exist. You are made as an eternal being. What you spend in eternity, that's the difference. There's either life or death. There's either eternal life or eternal death. But there's no such thing as us leaving our conscience or leaving pain or leaving whatever it is. Only for the Christian are you made new in that way. Without Christ, it's just eternal death. Why does all this, this Trinity on display, the son submitting to the father, life and death and all of that, why does it matter for the Corinthians and why does it matter for us? And I love this phrase that says this, that God may be all in all. You look at verse 28, the end of it, that God may be all in all. Why does it matter to them? Well, it matters because the same reason it matters to you. They hated submission. They hated the idea of somebody else getting credit and glory for their life. Not to God, not to God-given authority. They didn't like Paul. They didn't like the authority in their life. They didn't like each other. They had very much bought into the cultural gospel, which is this, you be you, depending on how you feel that day. Don't let anybody tell you different. And if somebody tells you different than you just being you and doing whatever you wanna do, then they're the one that's at fault. They're the wrong person. They're at the wrong seat in society. You be exactly who you are. Don't you dare let anyone. You are your own authority and your own God. And even if you have to devour one another, do it. It's worth it because just so you can self actualize. That's what they bought into. The Corinthians. They hated this idea of that God may be all in all. Why does it matter for us today? I mean, Sound familiar? That's the world that we live in, that's the waters that we swim in. Everything in your life is pulling you away from submitting to God and giving glory to Him. Everything. That God may be all in all. It could seem like a throwaway statement for us in the Bible Belt, giving glory to God. I mean, that sounds like something athletes do a lot. That sounds like something that we should probably do or parents did or whatever it is. You know, we prayed before every meal, Pastor. We do, you know, whatever. It's like, that's great. But let me break it down even more to you. We treat God like he owes us something. The Corinthians did. It's like, God's, you get the sense that they're almost saying, like, God really did a smart thing when he saved me, given my personality and attributes and gifts. Smart. Smart of him to save me like he did. I'll probably go win some for him. The Corinthians for sure thought that. This spiritual hierarchy, this height of arrogance, this I know God because of the gifts he gives me, I'm smarter than, I mean, he was really smart to save me because uh, look at me, how gifted and great and awesome I am. It's this consumeristic thing that happened in the church in Corinth that said God is about me. This world is about me, so you know what? You should be about me too. It's that thing that infiltrates every church in history and it infiltrates ours in Shawnee America. It's called consumerism. It's the what have you done for me lately mentality. I need you to be, for me, the thing that I think God should have been anyway. And when you're not God for me, I dismiss you. And when I'm not God for me, I dismiss myself. And I go look for another thing to fill that gap that God is only designed to fill. This is consumerism. My fear, that's what I meant when we started. My, my fear is that, is that we hear things because we're used to hearing things, but they never actually do anything to our heart. And we just keep on chasing our tail. We just keep on going like that's a nice thought, that's a good philosophy, great conversation, doesn't really mean anything. I'm trying to get you to see that it means everything. It's not that it just means something, this is everything. This means everything. There's nothing in the course, the history of humanity, in your life especially, there's nothing more important and more urgent than the resurrection of Christ, nothing. It means everything. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? I'm gonna stop here and address this. You're probably going, I'd like to see what he says now. The Corinthians had done all kinds of stuff, but as a byproduct of their own pride and arrogance, they had actually rewritten the rules for Christianity and liturgy. They said, well, If I'm my own God and my thoughts are better than God's, then I think I could probably make up some other stuff that are doctrinally unsound. We're gonna adopt a doctrine in this church that even though people have died, we would like for them to be saved. So I guess probably let's just make it up out of thin air. Let's baptize ourselves on behalf of those people that have died. And Paul is basically just saying like, you do so many crazy things, Corinth. You... And you, it's beside the point, we're not even gonna talk about how that's just crazy. We know that Paul, uh, for sure, according to the rest of the New Testament, does not endorse baptizing on behalf of the dead. He's just saying, look at what you do this, like, why, why would you baptize on behalf of the dead if you don't believe in even the resurrection? It doesn't make sense. Paul says this, why are we in danger? If it doesn't matter, if we're not raised from the dead, why are we in danger every day, every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our, our Lord. I die every day. Every day, says Paul, who's riding from a prison, who's escaped all kinds of stuff. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. What's the point, he says. What is the point? If we won't be raised from the dead, then why do it? Why go through the pain of life of a countercultural Christian? 32, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Why do that, Paul? If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, then reason with me. Come on, man, let's just reason with me. Just like the church in Corinth, you reason with me. If the dead are not raised, let's go fishing. Let's just go on and try to, let's do the thing. Let's give over to the whole world. What they're trying to do is live in a constant state of perpetual vacation because that's as good as it ever gets. He said, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's old Roman saying. If the dead are not raised, if your body is just, that's it. You just die and that's it. Then we might as well just live life as a big party. The dead are not raised, we might try, try to get every ounce of pleasure out of this life. This might seem like crazy ideas to some in this room or maybe you've never given a second thought to living a life of total hedonism. But I wanna drive this more home as we get ready to close because we function like we don't believe that there is a better life coming for us after death. And this is the Christian in the room. We actually live like we believe that we're not gonna be raised, like it doesn't matter. How many things in your life, in my life, if I were to stack the things up in life, how many would seem like we're expecting to spend eternity with Jesus? Now just think about your life, the way that you treat your kids, the way that you look to your family, the way that you view your paycheck or your bank account or your job or your looks or what you have or what you don't have. Just stack all of those things. Imagine that. How many of those things look like you truly believe that we live eternally. I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Our spending habits, our hobbies, our attitudes and character, our bodies. Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Certain denominations, churches have used this for years to get out of evangelism and to stop being gospel witnesses to people that don't know Jesus. Simply put, what he's saying is not that, he's saying this, stop putting things, stop stacking things in your life that don't point to eternity. Particularly those who say they follow Christ, all of us, those in our life that say they follow Christ but live like they're just, there's no eternal life. And then finally this, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God but you have knowledge of God. Some don't. And then just in case anybody was wondering whether or not Paul was saying this to our shame he says very clearly I say this to your shame. I want to invite you today baptism's Baptism on Sunday is one of my favorite things we do. It's a party in here, man. You feel, feels alive. And I love that song we sang, Graves into Garden. He turns graves into gardens. He turns mourning to dancing. Um, that's actually true. That's a, that's a fact. That's not, that's not like some weird Christian thing we just sing because we like the melody and because it's poetic. Nothing wrong with that. Love poetic melodies. But it's the truth. It's the truth. That's, that's what we literally bank our lives on. Listen to me, I, reason with me. That is the thing that a Christian banks his entire or her entire existence on. Is this idea that we believe is fact, that God turns graves into gardens. That we will in fact be if we are. Dead to our sin through Christ. If we've been buried with Him, if we say like, "Hey, I don't have much to offer. I actually know I don't have. I have nothing to offer, and I'm I, I'm choosing to believe with my whole heart. I, I'm putting all of my trust. I'm I'm banking on Jesus. That's what I'm banking on. I'm just I'm not good at it all the time. I don't always say the right thing. I'm I'm kind of a hot mess in my life. But my goodness." I am banking, I'm banking on the fact that Christ rose from the dead. I just want to be, the only chance I have, the only thing I can offer anybody is nothing. The only chance I have is if God the Father accepts the sacrifice of Christ and when he looks at me, he goes, okay, you're by, but you're by yourself, you're not, you, of course, you've sinned, you cannot come into my presence, but through God the Son, and through his sacrifice now, not only do I welcome you, I welcome you with open arms and say, here, have a seat right next to me. That's what me, that's what I'm doing. I'm telling you what I'm doing. You can go on trying to like, you can go on trying to be good and do good and go to church enough or say the right things or be a good enough husband or wife or whatever it is. You can try that stuff, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. You can try to get as much money as possible, maybe that you know, will fill all of the aches and pains of your life. Maybe if you get enough money, you can like buy your way into heaven. That's never going to work. I don't think God's real worried about that. He actually said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, you could try all kinds of stuff. I, I don't think it's going to work. The only thing that you have man the only thing that you have to bank on is that Christ's sacrifice was real and it worked and then when you die it's just a holding place that he'll return one day and your body and your soul and everything will be resurrected in new life for eternity and you'll be given a new glorified body that doesn't get sore when you act stupid at the gym like I did Death is not the end for a Christian. Years ago, Christians needed a new term for the word graveyard. Because of the reality of the resurrection, the word graveyard didn't work anymore, so they invented the word cemetery, which is derived from the Greek word for dormitory. It's a holding place. We just are only here for a little while. Maybe you have friends and family today that have passed on. And you go, I know that they, were, they weren't perfect, but I know they were with Christ. I'm telling you, they are with Christ now in soul, and one day they will be reunited with him in body when he comes back. He turns mourning to dancing. He turns graves into gardens. He's the only one that can.